1: Ow, ow, ow. Ow. Welcome to another edition of the Dogger Pass Podcast. This is for UFC San Diego. This episode and all episodes of the Dogger Pass Podcast are brought to you by Prize Use promo code DOP to get a match deposit up to a hundred dollars. Paul Shaughnessy here. Quad P on the sticks. Cody Saffick. On the line, as always. I actually had a profitable profitable week last week. I had friends in town, so I wasn't like as heavily invested in the card. Your baby, Juliana Miller, comes through in the clutch. Uh, I had Sato and Sato round one. Woof, that didn't work out. But then the prize picks covered my investment on those bets. Catch a beating gets pushed to this week. So really, I I really just came out on the juliana miller bet but a winning week when you've been struggling like i have it feels pretty damn good cody
2: yeah that's exactly it the ufc has been a little bit rough stretch as of late and you get just a lot of these lower end fights so you're forced to take a little bit of risks that you might not want to take but this looks like a solid offering all around nice card Uh, i think the lines at this point by wednesday have been blown up a little bit it's hard to find that real good value but if we can get the winners they'll make the value themselves
1: Yep. All right. Let's just uh, pitter patter. Let's get out our main event. We got Marlon Chito Vera taking on Dominic Cruz minus two thirty. Vera plus one ninety five for Dominic Cruz. I feel like this is going to be kind of like one of those situations. It'll be like a Peter Yawn versus like Corey Sandhagen, where it's like Marlon Vera will probably get out, you know, out volumes for as long as you know at least early on in the fight. But, like, the the or the or strikes that are, like, really impactful will be landed by him. You know, he, he may lose. You know, people, if the fight goes to decision, it'll be the type of fight that, like, people who bet Dominic Cruz will pull up the stats, and they'll be like, see, see? You know, he outstruck them by, like, 40 significant strikes. And it's just like, well, that's not how people score fights. Um, I like Vera to win. I think the minus 230 is a little bit steep, but... I mean, facts are facts. Cruz has been knocked down four times in his last four fights. He's only getting older. This is a young man's game, particularly particularly in this division. Um, And Vera's got a lot of, like, he really attacks those legs, which I think early on in the fight, Dominic Cruz should be able to dance around him, should be able to, you know, use the jab, get in and out of the pocket, land some strikes, probably is up early Marlon Vera is a historically slow starter um I'll be more interested in like adding Vera after round one maybe even after round two um because I just think that he's going to land the more impactful strikes and I want to see him investing in those leg kicks slowing down Dominic Cruz's uh mobility early on the fight so Marlon Vera is going to be the pick for me I'm not going to get to the minus 230 money line what about you
2: yeah, I'm basically on the same lines. I mean, I like Marlon Vera. I've always said that this guy's built for five round fights. I mean, in three round fights, he routinely gives up the first, and he's always fighting to come out of a hole. But you see that tenacity to him. You see that durability. You see he has, you know, he's equipped to go into these later rounds. Even the frank Yeager fight, he's losing until he knocks him out. But you can see the momentum building in his favor. So of course, his last time out when they finally booked him against Rob Font in a five rounder, I thought that's when we'd see him at his best. And of course, I thought he really shined in that fight. I guess Dominic Cruz would be much of the same. I 100 can see Dominic cruz coming out here and winning the first round why because most people that fight cheeto vera tend to win that first round at that point cheeto now needs to win three of the next four rounds in order to win a decision or take cruz out but again he's a little steam engine i think he's going to eventually use those light kicks to kind of stifle some of cruz's uh movement Dominic Cruz is another guy that's a very a big volume-based guy. But, of course, Vera's got the damage. And I think judges are typically going for the more damage, the more visible shots, the, the, the bigger power. So all those things tend to sw- swing towards Vera. The minus 230, I'm going to agree with you again here. I don't actually really love that price tag. Of course, it's the main event. You could hedge out of it. But you probably get a better price tag once he loses the first round, which he always does. Live betting Tito Vera is always the move. And so this is another scenario where I'm going to pick him. But again, I think you can uh, improve on this price tag if you just wait a little bit.
1: Yep. All right. Let's move on to the co-main event. We've got David Onama taking on Nate the Great Land. We are minus 315 uh, Nate the Train, not Nate the Great. Uh, (laughs) Minus 315 David Onama plus 265 Nate the Train. Yo boy, Nate the Train. Are you picking him here?
2: No, no. So, uh, you know, everyone's got their favorites. They like this guy. They like that guy. This guy's entertaining. He's got a fun fight style. So, uh, again, you do sometimes lead to a little bit of a bias where you're just going to ride this person. Did I get caught doing that exact same thing with Action Man a few weeks ago against Jack Hermanson? Possibly. You know, Jack's a a top ranked middleweight who had a full camp for the fight. Who's fighting in Europe. Action Man's undersized for middleweight, taking the fight on a week's notice, had literally just fought. They're all reasons why you shouldn't bet him. But you allow that bias to take over. I'm a huge Nate Train fan. Going back to his days in Russia, he stepped up to the plate against the toughest guys the country had to offer. And believe me, the country's got a lot of tough guys to offer. up. But he's got he, he's got tenacity. He's always coming forward. He's got big power. He can wrestle. He was a D1 lef- level uh, tr- uh, track and field athlete. Guys just got it all, really. But it seems so that when he's come to the UFC, he's getting hit, he's getting hurt. Herbert Burns knocked him out, which is a bad sign. Of course, he did run himself into that knee. But also the fight with Darren Elkins, where he's just there for the hitting for the most part. Against Ludovic Klein, you know, that forward aggression, that pressure always coming at your opponent. It's going to be effective against certain guys. But he's going to be a, a risk at the same time against others. David Onama, you know, if he fights him the same way he did Mason Jones, he'll have lots of success, but he's going to get hit a whole lot. And with David Onama, I'm not sure you want to get hit a whole lot. The guy's got big, big power in both hands. He's athletic, he's young. He's still getting comfortable in the UFC, but you can tell, tell that he's getting uh, a lot more comfortable in his own skin. I think that at some point he's going to clip Nate Landwehr that's going to be pushing forward. So Nate Landwehr plus money, always live underdog. I just think durability is going to catch him in the ass here. And for that reason, I'd have to uh, go with David Onama.
1: Yep, I'm with you 100% there. I think Onama is just a little bit too powerful. He's got like a three and a half inch reach in this spot. Onama uh, by TKO plus 175 I see out there. Don't mind that. To be perfectly honest, um, that gets you off of the minus three fifteen. I think of eventually he knocks him out. I'm not going to really pick around because, you know, it's a matter of. I mean, Nate's been finished in the first round two times, but you know, maybe, maybe you know, he fights a little bit more cautious here. He doesn't run into things, that type of thing. So um, I just think eventually, yeah, David Onama is going to catch him, and he's Onama has shown that he's got. You know, he's got a three-round gas tank if he's, if he's got to dig deep into it. Pat.
0: Wanted to point out for all the viewers, because I know when I watch stuff, I hate this shit, so I decided that I would tell people, Cody's internet connection is really bad today, so there's a little bit of a delay between Paul and Cody. If people are wondering that, like, Cody seems, like, stunned for two seconds after Paul says something, I just want to throw that out so I people think know. So I was, people know.
1: I just was going to, like... Let the people assume that it's, like, what I said was so, like, flabbergasting to him. He had to, like, take a couple
0: seconds to compose himself. Just, yeah. So if Cody's, like, a little bit choppy, you're going to have to deal with it this week, all right? You want the show or you don't? This is what we're going to do. Anyway, that's my piece.
1: Yeah, we're not going to put any uh, internet providers on blast because their opponent isn't paying us nothing. But, uh, yeah, fix it up. Beep. No, I'm just kidding. I don't. I don't know who provides Cody's internet, but uh, yeah, we'll we'll get her going. I, I mean, I thought it was it's all right. It's not a big deal. I'm getting used to it. Moving on down, we got Yasmin Yer uh, I believe is how you pronounce it. War Waragi war, 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 I think that's how you do it. J's with Mexican names are kind of W's. She takes on uh, Yasmin Lucindo. Battle of the Yasmin's. Both spelling it the opposite or different ways. Minus 190 for Warreggie, Uh plus 165 for Lucindo. Kind of like a striker versus grappler match here um, from what I gather, Cody. Yasmin Lucindo. Pretty good. Uh, pretty decent wrestler. Very aggressive, at least early on in fights. And uh, Waragi is... A little bit more of like a stand-up uh, knockout artist, I, I, I suppose you could say. Obviously, you know, the level of competition, it becomes a little bit more difficult as you as you move up the ranks. Have they taken on somebody of each other's stature yet? Uh, no, there's a lot of question marks, obviously, between the two of them. See a lot of people out there who are pretty impressed with this matchmaking. Uh, do you have a hot lean in this one or, or what?
2: Yeah, I think Yeraguí. Uh, I don't know, this is super limited. Like, you can't find a whole lot of tape on Lucindo. It looks like her top great game is pretty good. She's strong. She's physical. If she uh, gets the takedown, ends up on top of grappling, looks all right. When you go to topology, you'll notice this girl's 20 years old, right? And yet her pro debut dates back five years ago. So, in fact, she made her pro debut when she was 15 years old in Brazil, which seems pretty crazy to me. but. All the same, you know, I think maybe she's a prospect in the making, but right now she seems very green. And from the tape that we can see, she mostly relies on getting the fight to the ground and kind of ground and pounding her opponent and uh, securing that that, that that strong top position. Whereas uh, Yeriqui seems a little more well-rounded and more of a striker. I mean, she's strong, physical for the weight class, good striking, uh, good footwork, you know, good Mexican boxing, I guess I should say. And uh, I think that she'll probably keep the fight standing for the most part, Stuff the takedowns when need be and kind of piece her up from range. But if there was a pass in any pass, this is your pass right here. You've got women's MMA. You've got fairly low level. you got two girls making their debuts. You've got two girls that are very young. One of them's 20 years old. I mean, everything here screams, I can't get that great of an edge. And to uh, the icing on the cake is that she's a two-to-one favorite is Yara Gui, right? So... I don't know that I would want a ton of investment here, but I think she is the right favorite.
1: Fair enough. Yeah, I mean, it's probably not one I'm getting to either. Moving on down, we've got Azamat Mirzakhanov taking on Devin Clark, minus 145 Mirzakhanov, plus 125 Clark. Who do you like here?
2: Yeah, so Clark's coming back down from heavyweight where he beat William Knight. and He's seemingly got the same game plan he's always had. He presses guys up against the cage. He tries to get takedowns, although he generally does not get them. And uh, I don't know. His durability has always been a little bit of a question mark to me. Of course, we've seen him get knocked out by Alexander Rakic and Anthony, or sorry, Alex Nicholson back in the day. But even, you know, the Ian Kudalaba fight where he gets all of his teeth knocked out. Or you'll see certain fights where, you know, he gets knocked down, doesn't necessarily get finished in the fight, though. Uh, even the on block wits fight right hurt to the body before he gets submitted with the rear naked choke so durability a bit of a question but he just presses guys up against the cage kills time off the clock he's not really taking any damage you do look at his volume his numbers very very low and every fight he's landing 30 40 He's got some decent wrestling. He's got some decent sambo. Taking him down is going to be a problem, and I don't think that Devin Clark's going to be able to go out there and just lean on him the entire time. At some point, they're going to spread into the open space, and at that point, Marzukhanov's got much heavier hands. He's got much quicker power. He throws certain things like a flying knee. You know, he can catch you off guard, and I think at some point he's just going to clip him. Uh, people will go back to his UFC debut against Tafan and Juqui and be like. The guy might be down two rounds going into the third before landing a flying knee. Wasn't a great look. That's fair, although Tufan and Njuqvi po- poses different problems both physically and with his striking abilities that Devin Clark just simply wouldn't, right? So I think Merzikhanov will be a little more comfortable here, has enough grappling to keep this fight standing, and has enough standing. Uh, uh, there's enough of a discrepancy of the standing that at some point the advantage will be Merzikhanov large enough that he'll clip him with something and knock him out. So i got Mirzakanoff knockout out round two.
1: I'm with you, man. Um, I see a lot of David Clark love this week, and I've never really loved Clark. I know that, you know, we gave him a hard time about his durability in a whole bunch of different spots earlier on in his career. He's definitely, maybe it's being up at 205 pounds. He's able to wear that damage a little bit better. He gets stunned, but he he survives. He lives to, uh, you know, he lives to see the final bell type of thing. But I really liked it, Merzikhanov, coming into that Tafan and Jukwi fight. And I felt... You know, fortunate to cash it with the flying knee in round three. Um, I think we the guy who showed up on Contender Series and the guy I saw on the Russian regional scene shows up here. Uh, the line keeps coming. Like, people like themselves some Clark this week. So, I'm going to, you know, hold my breath, wait, and uh, maybe snatch an even better price than the minus 145 that we see right now. Um I mean, if, yeah, if we can get this closer to a pick by fight time, if everyone just steams Clark, I'll go the other way and take uh, uh, Mirzakhanov. Um, Mirzakhanov by knockout. Uh, Cody's even picking rounds, so good on him. But, uh, yeah, Merzakov for me, Merzakov for Cody. We have a retread, a fight that was booked before and was canceled. Cynthia Calvillo takes on Nina Nunez. Calvillo, minus 175 favorite. Nunes can be had for plus 150. I mean, the more I've kind of thought about this fight, the the more I've kind of thought, like, Calvillo at 125 pounds really hasn't shown the ability to dominate in the wrestling like she did when she was doing her best work at 115 pounds. I mean, she was kind of half cheating. She's not really able to make the weight class a whole bunch of times to do that. Um... I, I struggled like If, if this is a stand up affair I think Nina Nunez wins If Calvio's not able to Get top control Or get the takedowns And secure top control For multiple minutes I think she loses this fight too So I'll I haven't bet it yet But I'm considering a shot on the dog Nina Nunez What about you?
2: Yeah, same thing. Again, you need Underdogs, not every favorite's going to hit. This one's close enough that I think the Underdogs definitely got a chance, and I will go with Nina Nunez. There's red flags all over this thing, man. She's been away for a long time. The last time we did see her fight, she got taken down by Mackenzie Dern, and nobody gets taken down by Mac-
1: Mackenzie
2: Dern. He was going to be equipped to exploit, so... Yeah, I mean, there's enough red flags on Nunez that's like, oh, I don't know. Calvillo, though, it's the same thing. Her last time out against Angela Lee, she more or less quit on the stool. And that's a bad look for a fighter. She's now in her mid-30s. Uh, her desire is not quite there. She hasn't looked good in a number of fights. And as you mentioned, since she's moved up from 115, in fact, since she's moved up from like 117 and a half, which is where she's most comfortable... The results are not necessarily there. So how does this one shake up? Nina Nunez, you can take her down, but she's not exactly super easy to hold down. Like Mackenzie Dern's a world-class grappler, but I think if Cynthia Calvillo completes the takedowns, there is a chance that Nunez will be able to scramble and get back up. I also think stand-up-wise, Nunez is going to have the advantage. I mean, uh, back when she was Nina Ansaroff, she was known strictly for her striking. Not much of a ground game, but someone that can go up there, land 100-plus significant strikes, um, you know, physical when she needs to be. Uh, Again, it was the takedown defense was her biggest issue. Calvillo on paper again can go out there and use that wrestling but you're seeing in a lot of her fights lately she's not wrestling all that much and when she does shoot it's from a little too far out she's not overly committing herself she doesn't uh, you know wear damage particularly well all that well anymore so I don't know I just I can't get I can't get behind Calvillo and then last but not least you know I took a shot on Juliana Peña a few weeks back against Amanda Nunez the GOAT you no know, simple basis that Amanda Nunez maybe doesn't want it anymore she wasn't at American top team anymore but what she ended up doing was going establishing her own team bringing in her own coaches bringing in her own training partners specifically working on her grappling specifically working on her cardio and the version of her that you saw was pretty damn good, man. She was on point. Nina Nunez benefits from all of that. She's in that same personal camp. She has those same private coaches and training partners. And sure to God's probably been working on her grappling and her cardio. Already has a striking advantage. Just needs to work on getting back up when she does get taken down and stuffing a few takedowns where it need to be. But it's a plus 125. We need a couple underdogs. I'll take a shot here.
1: Moving on to the prelims, we've got Bruno Silva taking on Gerald GM3 Mearshart. Bruno Silva, a minus 270 favorite. Gerald Meerscher can be had for plus 230. Cody has morphed into a phone, a phone board at this point. Um, obviously, we're dealing with technical difficulties, but the show, as they say, will go on. I think Bruno Silva absolutely knocks him out. I know Bruno Silva has like a black belt that he got for like knocking somebody out in the UFC, We're not going to really bad an eye much at that. Hopefully, you can just avoid, you know, Gerald Mearshart's takedowns wrestling isn't all that great. We saw it with Silva. It's like even in round three against uh, Alex Pereira, he was able to, uh, you know, push it, you know, push the fight and hang around like he wasn't like flopping all over the place. The cardio isn't great, but it's like not that bad. He's got great power in his hands. If he can just keep this fight up, right? Like, I really struggled to see Mearshart uh, pull this one out. But Mearshart is the king of, like, you know, getting absolutely trounced and then somehow snagging a a submission in, like, you know, late in round two or early in round three. So, buyer beware. Bruno Silva, I think, by knockout. I mean, that's even also pretty juiced. The best number I see out there right now is minus 134, but... That's how I see this fight playing out. What about you?
2: Yeah, I got Bruno Silva by knockout. And, uh, of course, I mean, Gerald Mearschardt is the underdog king. The guy takes a beating. He comes back. He cashes for plus money. He's got a dangerous ground game. And, of course, with Bruno Silva, he's been submitted five times, so the grappling could play... uh, uh, dividends down the stretch for sure you've also seen him in fights like the makhmud muradov fight where he gets hurt early he loses the first round and then the second muradov starts to fade jeremy Rashard takes over sometimes his cardio is good sometimes it's not good but the guy's always throwing up these submission attempts he's always you know scrambling he's always ending up on top and getting a little bit of top control it's a bit of a taxing pace and so bruno Silva's gonna have to be ready for that the thing is, though, is that bruno silva is what we would consider a murderous power puncher not just a power puncher a murderous one if he touches you you're in for a world of shit, and for Gerald Murashard, he is getting wobbled in a lot of spots. Sometimes he can survive, but we've also we've also seen this guy absolutely get deaded in 17 seconds by Kamzat Chamayo. We've seen Ian Heinish absolutely clunk this guy with an overhand right a minute 14 seconds into the first round. His chin has been compromised. And so when you are compromised and you're in there with Bruno Silva, uh, it's going to be pain. You're going to have to overcome some bad spots early. Even if you can take his best shots early, Bruno Silva carries power, throw it all three rounds. He's landing some of his best shots on Pereira, who's about to fight for a world title. He lands even half of those shots on Jeremy Irshardt. He's going down. Now, is Mirchart's wrestling good enough? That he's just going to go out there and take down Bruno Silva early in the first round when Bruno Silva is fresh? Yeah, I don't think so. I mean, the guy was getting wrestled by Dustin Stolfus, which of course is not a very good sign. So, I got to go with Bruno Silva at some point, catching him clean with something and putting him out.
1: Hey, Bruno, please do not mearshart in Cody's apple pies. All right, moving on. We've got Lupita Godnez taking on Angela Hill. Godnez is a minus 300 favorite. Hill can be had for plus 250. This fight was supposed to take place in, like, October, and they're like, "Ah, eh, we're in San Diego. Let's have a catchway fight of 120 pounds, and, like, let's just do it next week. Um, you know, Angela Hill is from the San Diego area, so maybe that kind of played into it. And Lapita's like, right, I know my game plan here. It's like, I'm going to spam takedowns and, and hopefully hold you down. Um, Prize picks, uh, her takedowns is set at three. That one's a, It's interesting. I think I like it. I think Angela Hill will get back up. Godnez will stick to a game plan of we got to get takedown after takedown after takedown. Oh, And Angela Hill's submission defense has really improved over the years. That um, I think, yeah, I think Godnez will probably get to like five, maybe even six takedowns in this spot. Angela Hill will at least early on in the fight. Put up a fight and um, and be able to get back to her feet. Three is obviously always tough because to, what if at the beginning of every single round, Lupita just takes her down, holds her there, and and that's how the rounds go through. But um, like that, I think Godnez, by decision is the way I'm going to go about it. I think that Angela Hill, though her takedown defense has improved, she's not going to be able to handle um, you know the the ferocious pace that Lupita Godinez is going to bring to her. Minus 300 is a terrifying, terrifying number, though. But Angela Hill, I feel like we're kind of at the end of the line here for her. She's a good enough broadcaster that I think there's other opportunities for her in her career. Maybe that's why they push this fight forward Um, as kind of maybe a swan song. But uh, Godinez will be the pick for me. Minus 300, a little bit steep. Over three takedowns and actually I forgot to mention earlier I think Calvio takedowns two I like I'm gonna I'm gonna shade it to the under on that one so I've got uh Godnez over three Calveo under two and uh we're we're building building our prize picks card from there Cody what do you think about Godnez versus Hill
2: the only thing I strongly disagree about it was the bit when you said that she was a good broadcaster and then uh, outside of that... <laughs> well, yeah, I, was nice, of I was trying to be nice,
1: Cody. I was trying to be nice.
2: Yeah, no, fair enough, fair enough. I don't know how deep her career in that field is. <laughs> However, I wish her all the best because you know, she's a veteran <laughs> in the sport. She's someone who's a perennial contender in the division for a very long time. Uh, has fought all the best, got robbed against girls like Claudia Gadelia, Like, you know, never got to a title challenger status, but was always somebody that was... You know, top five, top ten of the division, never turned down a fight. So she's got some type of legacy built within the UFC, no doubt about it. But uh, I think you nailed it 100% when you said she's kind of on that tail, that, that back nine. She's slowing down a little bit. Her takedown defense, although it had improved in the middle stage of her career, she's get, back to getting taken down two, three times in each of her fights. Uh, her last time out was very, very telling, um, getting largely taken down and controlled It just, these things didn't necessarily used to happen to her, right? And uh, with Verna Janderoba, she's one-dimensional in that she'll go after the takedowns and she's got excellent ground game, right? And I think that Lupita Godinez could do the exact same thing, just pursue the takedown for the entirety of the fight, make this a grappling match for the entirety of the fight. Because even though she's got decent boxing, if it stays striking, uh, Angela Hill's going to be landing some kicks, she's going to be landing a little bit of volume, and of course, this is likely going 15 minutes. Angela Hill almost always goes 15 minutes. And in Lupita Godinez's uh, case, her last three fights, again, have all gone the 15-minute decision. So this thing's likely going 15. What we don't want is a greasy women's MMA fight where there's striking exchanges, where Lupita Godinez is struggling. We just need full 15 minutes of of that grind. This price is at no good. But I think you would improve it by going Lupita Godinez by decision to try to save yourself at least a few points anyways. And then uh, in terms of Angela Hill, yeah, I, I can see her winning this fight in the open space, but she's going to have to keep the fight in the open space, and, you know, that's easier easier said than done. Last but not least, part of the reason my minus 300, I'm definitely not willing to go in, is when you look at Lupita Godinez, she's taking down Loma Luka Bume five times, right? Loma Luka Bume, 105-pound fighter, 105-pound tight fighter at that. She's taking down, uh, you know, uh, Arion carnalosi Carnalosi, not a very good defensive grappler you know takedown defense definitely spotty so she's looking good against that you know ilka fighter of that that caliber and quality of fighter but this is a significant step up by her own standards so you know we got to really be sure here that she's going to get the takedowns for 15 full minutes and smother her otherwise this is going to be a little bit closer than people want to believe it's going to be but of course not enough for me to change the pick so i'm going to have to go with lupita godinez by decision
1: yeah her by decision is like minus 150 out there don't hate it. Better
2: than 300, man.
1: <laughs> I mean, whether, yeah, whether you like Angela Hill or not, it's like she, I mean, she hung out on the ground, got taken down by Verna multiple times. Um, she, She's proven to be very, very tough over the years, and her you know, submission defense, at the very least, is pretty solid. Like, she's a decision machine. She's losing all of these decisions by, like, she's hanging around to the final bell, so it gets you off of the minus 300 and it's actually like in some other books right now it's like minus 350 minus 360 so it's it's a little bit spread out obviously this fight was a little bit later to later to being booked so maybe you know maybe that market's just a little bit more volatile right now because there's some really wide lines across the board right now on that all right we got uh, martin budai taking on Lucas Breski 275 Budai, plus 235 Breski, Cody, who you got?
2: Martin Budai. Uh, both guys actually kind of fight a bit of a similar game plan. The difference is Martin Budai checks in at 264 pounds, and Lucas Breszki is going to be giving up at the very least a good 30 pounds to him. The last time we've seen him weigh in, against dylan potter on the contender series he came in at 234 right so he's not particularly that big of a heavyweight and when you see him fight um on the regional scene generally he fights his best from the clinch right he wants to clinch up with guys you know, use whatever physicality he has to press him up against the cage, dirty box, you know, knees from the inside, break you down over time and then get you down and try to put you away if possible. Against Dylan Potter, uh, Dylan Potter is not a heavyweight for the record, but uh, has a very limited ground game, right? And in the first round, you know, he does exactly that, clinches up with them, chips away, second round chips away, third round chipping away, doesn't even rear naked choke him. It's, it's a non-tap. Mark Smith thinks it's a tap, but at no point does Dylan Potter ever actually tap out. And then Brzezinski goes and he tests positive. He red flags with Usada right afterwards. So it's a no contest, and he's served the better part of almost a year suspension. But all the same, if he comes in, checks in at Wayne's at 235 pounds, not on the juice anymore, and he's going to try to get into a clinch battle with Martin Budai, I just don't think it's going to go well. Budai accelerates in the exact same position, him at his best, is clinching on guys, pressing them up against the cage, and wearing on them. The difference is that 265 pounds and six foot four, he's very effective with doing exactly that. You saw him um, even prior to coming on the contender series. I mean, you know, a guy that's very high with his finishing rate. He's never been to decision, he's finished almost everybody. His lone career loss happened in 2017 and it's Juan Espino. So I don't think anybody's going to hold that one against him, right? He, he's a machine. He's still only 30 years old on the contender series against Lorenzo Hood. Just, Plays the safe route. You know, Lorenzo Hood's very limited, but he's big and he's jacked. So why why stand and strike with him? And again, you see Budai just press him up against the cage, you know, slowly just grind these guys until they're tired and they're fatigued. And then he puts it on them. He's very offensive with it. And then, of course, his uh, UFC debut against uh, Beast Boy, Chris Barnett. Bit of a weird fight. No doubt about it. And I understand how Budai might not exactly be the biggest fan favorite because his style isn't what the casual fan necessarily wants to watch, but it's just largely effective. And if this guy is going to come in here, a Brzezinski is going to initiate a clinch with Budai, giving up 35 pounds, it's just going to wear on him. Brzezinski's got a limited gas tank. We've seen him gas in the past. And this one's chalk good example of exactly what's going to happen again. I mean, he's going to get into a clinch warfare game plan. After the first round, he's going to start to fatigue. Into the second round, he's going to start to fatigue. And he's either going to get taken out late in the second or into the third by uh, Martin Budai. So I got to go with the uh, the bigger of the heavyweights to get it done, and that's the uh, Slovakian prospect.
1: Yeah, minus 275 is a little bit wide, but I fully agree. For um, shitty
2: heavyweights, take it from me. I, I get kind burned of by shitty heavyweights I kind of like every the, week, apparently, Paul.
1: I kind of like the early... The early or numbers on the over one and a half rounds that were available, but now that it's jacked up to minus one seventy five to the over, like I mean, it took Martin Budai until the third round to to get you know Chris Barnett, who let's face it, guy's really really fun, but he's barely a heavyweight. Took him uh, took him late into that fight to to you know dispose our technical decision, right? Because Bar- oh yeah yeah yeah, because Barnett. Barnett wanted out uh, At that point point. Um, and that was like That was pretty much like Immediately Like I almost kind of thought That Barnett was going to quit In the corner um, After after two rounds I'll be interested to see If they have like An over two and a half That opens up Or fight goes to decision I don't uh, Budai is really really good In the clinch But like He kind of strikes me As a As a heavyweight Over Type of guy So that's what I'll be on the lookout in that fight. All right, moving on down. We got Gabriel Mowgli-Benitez taking on Charlie Ontiveros. Gabriel Benitez is a minus 360 favor. Ontiveros can be had a four plus, 285. Under one and a half rounds in this fight is jacked to minus 240. I mean, when you have Sideshow Bob stepping on rakes, and that's what Charlie Bo- Antaveros is. Ugh. Um, I mean, it's not very shocking. I mean, we've always talked about Gabriel Mogli Benitez guy kicks like a mule. Um, Charlie Ontaveros has some pretty dangerous kicks in, in his own right, but the guy's been knocked out what eight, nine times. Like it's kind of crazy. They went from fighting Kevin Holland up at 185 pounds to now he's fighting in at lightweight. But, uh, I mean, obviously he's large, he's got some dangerous kicks and stuff. This is like a a shit-or-get-off-the-pot spot for Gabriel Mowgli-Benitez at this point. It's like, you've been a veteran for us for such a long time. Here you go. Knock this guy out. If you can't get through Charlie Ontiveros, you lose your job. I think Mowgli wins. I think Mowgli wins in round one. I think he absolutely smashes him. It's a dangerous fight, though. And obviously, the under one and a half... I don't think I've ever seen an under one and a half jacked to minus 240 before. That just kind of shows you the state of a Charlie Ontiveros fight. Like, they know that this guy, you know, the guy's made of glass, basically. Um, Wouldn't be shocked to see him miss weight either. Uh, He's very, very large for the weight class. But, yeah, Benitez should commit commit a homicide here. Am I wrong?
2: No, no, I don't think you're wrong. Yeah, I remember the movie The Replacements with Keanu Reeves, and then he tells him, he's like, You're not a has been, you're a never was. Right? That's essentially what we got here. We got a has been versus a never was. Gabriel Benitez at his best kills Charlie Ontiveros. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, his best days certainly seem to be behind him. I mean, he was known for his great durability. I mean, that cast iron Mexican toughness. But now you're seeing him clipped. And more often than not, he's getting clipped early into these fights. He's getting damaged. He's not as willing to let his kicks go because their guys are countering nowadays. And it, it certainly does seem like uh, his, his career is starting to wind down a little bit at age 34. That being said, it's like, well, who's he lost to? It's like, well, David Onama. Yeah, Stud. Billy Q. Stud. Sodi Qusef. Omar Morales. Enrique Barzola. All good guys. He's fought at the pinnacle of the sport. He's fought at the highest level. And yeah, he's been a top 15 gatekeeper for the most part. Got, you, know, you want to beat him to get into that upper echelon, the top 15, top 10. But yeah, I mean he's just he's not getting the quality victories for the most part. Every now and again though, they'll, they'll throw him a bone like a Justin James, because as a good gatekeeper, those are the guys you still need to defeat. And as that good gatekeeper, if he wants to remain employed with the company, he needs to go out and beat the Charlie Ontiveros of the world. As far as the striking goes i mean it's more refined he's got well it's in a different way you've got kickboxing versus karate like what Mowgli does best is his leg kicks body kicks right javier mendez once upon a time saying this is the heaviest kicker at the american kickboxing academy certainly saying something he's got decent enough boxing decent enough power in his hands it's just against these quicker more agile guys he's getting beat to the punch and his durability is not quite there anymore charlie on is like a long pant kickboxer i mean he's very fluid on his feet he's very fast what I will give him is for as bad as he is, like he is an offensive juggernaut. He will come at you, and he does have a good chance of maybe landing something early. In his last fight against Steve Garcia, he had him rock. He had him out of there. Unfortunately, he did not take him out. And when that happened, it gave Steve Garcia a chance to return fire. And as we all know, Charlie Ontiveros doesn't deal good with return fire. In eight pro losses, he's been finished all eight times, all eight of them by TKO. Todd Moore, second round by elbows. He had a rib injury against Rashid Abdullah, who was three and seven. Jeff Neal took two rounds before the doctor threw it in. And I think on a, for a lot of people, it's like, damn, he went two rounds with Jeff Neal. Then he got knocked out by Michael Page in the first round for Bellator. And then at that point, I think his chin's gone. Nikolai Vretnikov, first round knees to the body. Will Morris was one and zero oh at the time. He knocked him out in a minute. And then you've seen both fights in the UFC against Kevin Holland. He like broke his neck. That was a scary injury, man. And then uh, against Steve Garcia, He drops down two weight classes and gets smoked out of there in the second round. Durability is a giant issue for him. Whereas with Mowgli Benitez, it looks like it's starting to become an issue against the best guys in the sport. So for that reason, there's just a giant experience difference. And I would think at some point, both men are going to hit each other. But Mowgli still should be able to hit what Charlie's got coming for him. And uh, in Charlie's case, you know, the first thing that lands clean should have this guy fairly rocked and out of there. So uh, same same issues that Justin James faced when he had against Mowgli Benitez. Same things that Charlie Alduvaris will run into. But uh, you would think you would load this up. You would think you would want this high up on your you know priority list this weekend. Like Charlie, maybe, could maybe not so much. Yeah, you could land because, something yeah, flashy. Yeah. Charlie throws wild. He knows his job's on the line. He might as well go for it. And for Benitez, he's also on a two-fight losing streak. His best days seem behind him. And this is the Hurt business. Like, something could land and put him out. So, I'm not, like, 100% confident on it. But Benitez has a lot of experience, huge experience advantage,
1: but a big skill advantage as well. And that's what I'm leaning on. Pat's got something to say, and I think I know exactly what he's going to say because he's Quad P is so sharp.
0: Can you guess what I was going to say?
1: Yeah, is that the, the fight time in this fight is set to seven and a half minutes. No. And that is jacked to minus 240 to the under. under. That is the pillar of this week's, like, you're getting a minus 240 in, in like, a pick em situation. No, you're not, though. You didn't update the page. What do you mean?
0: The fight time's down to five minutes. Oh.
1: That literally changed in the last... Yeah,
0: they, they updated as we were going along. So I noticed that when it changed. So my question is... My God. Is the move... I, I know, you, I know you said that either guy could win in this situation, but just, it sounds like this one guy's going to kick the shit out of the other guy. So Benitez over Very 104 fantasy points seems like the move. Because if it hits the under, he hits it over anyway.
1: Yeah, I mean, a first-round finish is 100, 100 points, points on So you're this.
0: good. So even if it goes to round two you're not worried about the over under yeah you can probably still get there anyway
1: yeah don't mind that or even the under five minutes is but yeah i mean i think the over yeah one in 104.5 i prefer because it still gives you an out like you know i think you got like 12 points for a knockdown so it's like what if he knocks him down in round one but doesn't clean up the business until round two Well, you'll probably still get there with the seventy points in round two, plus the knockdown, plus the significant strikes. The thirty-eight point five—it's like I have no idea. He could hit him like three times and absolutely fold them, or he could absolute like absolutely crush that thirty-eight point five. I mean, thirty-eight point five for a fight that's only supposed to go—yeah, that's always like one of the. Those are like one of the spots. Like you know, we're learning on the job here with like the prize pick stuff. Oh man, I'm so I'm broken that i missed that seven and a half i was staring at it i had it clicked i had it clicked too late <sighs> too late the things i lose you know don't I'm...
0: worry we got we got bellator on here too on prize Picks. so at the end of the show cody can just give us winners like he gave me some winners for that's fair dana white yeah, dancing with 104.5 the
1: the 104.5 sounds like a radio station but it's also you know the gabriel mogli benitez over um fantasy points adding that to the card I think Benitez wins but yeah it could be dicey I think Charlie could land like a crazy kick and uh knock him out like this under yeah under 1.5 240 it's like it's baffling real. like it looks like a Kayla Harrison fight in terms of like that type of number moving on down we got Oday Osborne taking on Tyson Nam minus 250 Osborne plus 210 Nam Cody who you got
2: yeah, so Tyson Nance's problem has and always will be his reluctancy to let his hands go. Like, the guy's got killer power, but he just does not throw ever. His volume is so goddamn low, man. Can't get behind it. You know, you look at his losses. Sergio Pettis, he lands 40 over 15 minutes. Kaikar France, he lands 50 over 15 minutes. Even his uh, fly, his fight with Matt Schnell, 58 over 15 minutes. Like, he's not eclipsing 60, Strikes landed, and the problem there is that he fights at 125 pounds. So guys at 125 pounds are very fast and tend to have high volume. And even though Tyson M's got good power, good takedown defense, savvy veteran, very experienced, fought all over the world, you got to let your hands go, man. Just hasn't been doing it. So getting out pointed by Chanel is a problem because, one, uh, I mean, it was a strike. It was a strictly a striking battle, and Schnell very handedly beat him to the punch. Had better combinations, you know, worked him over. And Schnell's kind of known as potentially chinny, and Tyson Nam at no point even landed anything remotely close enough to put Schnell away. So his big power, he's relying on it too much, and it's not even converting over necessarily as much as it was these days as it was uh, back in the day. Uh, he also has not fought in, you know, almost two years. So, like, none of this is uh, stuff that gets you excited to see the return of Tyson Nam. Ode Osborne, meanwhile, he's going to be rocking a 5-inch reach advantage in this spot. He's the younger man. He's faster. He's quicker. He's going to have that volume. You see that maybe he potentially does have some cardio issues uh, and tends to slow down later in fights. But Tyson Nam doesn't push enough of a pace in order to ensure that he does get tired. And the other thing is, if Tyson in waits too long and I'll um, just wait till he gets tired, it's going to be the same thing as the CJ Vergara situation. You might win the third, maybe he is gassed, but you can't lose the first two rounds and then rely on knocking this guy out. For the record, other than a Manel top flying knee to the face, he's got a pretty damn good chin. So. Mm-hmm. I just don't think Tyson Nam's going to clip him the later this fight goes, and I think he's just going to, that five-inch reach advantage will be very effective. O'Day Osborne's way faster. He's going to stay to the outside. He's going to use his jab. He's going to pick away at him, and Tyson Nam, of course, is going to stare at him and wait for that big shot to land. I just don't see it happening, so uh, i got to take O'Day Osborne, and uh, I will give Tyson Nam one thing. Dude's got some great durability on him, so I'm thinking O'Day Osborne would get it done by decision. Of course, this is MMA. One guy hasn't fought in two years. Is in his mid-30s could happen
1: right yeah I'm kind of on board with you across the board there I think Odie Osborne minus 250 seems a little bit jarring when you look at it but Tyson Nam 38 years old he's older than me Cody washed um washed well flyweight is a a flyweight 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 flyweight. is a young man (laughs) is a young man's game you know what I mean like you gotta be fast you gotta like and I'm sure he's for a thirty-eight-year-old man, super, super quick, fleet of foot. I'm not not rocking these tree stumps that I've got for legs. Don't trust me. I'm not comparing myself to Tyson. Nip sounds like I am, but I'm not. But um, but yeah, it's just really tough keeping up with these with the kids when you're in the division that you have to rely so heavily on speed. Heavyweight, it's like ah, you can fight until you're you know your mid forties if you're if you're cut from the right jib um audio uh, uh Ode osborne by decision what does that pay what does that pay Odie osborne by decision that is that's that's a tasty Cody. What, what about over like a plus a two strikes plus 240 i see out there on the market plus 215 don't mind that one bit maybe adding that to my car what were you saying pat
0: over 55 and a half significant strikes if, yeah that's that seems... not gonna if it's gonna go to decision he's gotta land that many right
1: i agree that seems pretty low um Tyson Nam is hard to put out of there. And you go through Osborne's fights, you know, 79 against Vergara when he won 3 rounds and then the rest of them have been, you know, either he gets finished or he finishes his opponent. Tyson Nam tries to fight a little bit of a slower pace. Matt Schnell landed 85 on him. Yeah. Let's let's add Ode Osborne over 55 and a half significant strikes. I got quad P giving me before I miss my next uh, Benitez under seven and a half minutes. I like that Pat's giving me giving me th- giving me these on on the fly to you know feed my need for greed. All right, we got Yusuf Zalal taking on Damon Blackshear minus one thirty for Zalal, plus plus one ten for Blackshear. Who you got here, buddy?
2: Yeah, so again, I need to take an underdog at some point, right? I mean, things are never just going to go all that smooth. And this one's just uh, enough of a pickup to me that I think I'll take a or pass swing on DeMond Blackshear. Yusuf Zalal, he's actually coming down from 145 pounds. So yeah. I don't know if he's going to be awesome at Bantamweight. Like, this is where he should have been the entire time, or if he's going to all of a sudden be giving away that speed advantage that he had at 45, and he's just going to be you know robotic in there i give him a slight striking well i do give him a striking advantage over damon blackshear the thing is is that he's low output as well he likes to strike in some spots but he's been relying a lot more on his grappling his three wins in the ufc he won three fights in six months for the ufc and i remember people were like oh he's the next big thing it's like yo he beat austin lingo jordan griffin and slippery pete barrett like all by decision for the record at what point does I make him some super prospect? At what point is like used as the law as the man? But he was somewhat competitive against Ilya Tapuria, a lot less competitive against uh, Sung Woo Choi, and then against Sean Woodson, you know, struggled mightily. Now he's taking off 14 months coming back into this spot. He was initially supposed to take on Christian Quinones, so he's got a full camp. Demon Blackshear doesn't. He's dropping down to 135, which again could could be the big could key help him for him with in his, his success. Absolutely could and he's still only 25 years old so there's a whole lot to like about Yusuf Zalal and I can see picking him. It just seems to me like the reason why he couldn't beat Taporia Choi and Woodson was the exact same thing. He could not take down either of the three guys. He, str- he, he couldn't. And then that he's been relying so much on his wrestling as of late that when he was matched up against guys that he could secure takedowns against, that was it. You know, the striking's flashy, but there's not enough substance behind it and certainly not enough striking numbers to sway the judges. DeMond Blackshear, I mean, at first glance, it's like, oh, you know, n- who is he? Never heard of him. But it's like, you should have heard of him because the guy's been knocking at the door for quite some time. His losses are to Chris Moutinho, who's a, not very good, but a UFC veteran. But the other losses are Pat Sabatini, who's a stud, and Danny Sabatello, who's a stud and again he's trying to out grapple those guys and is having no success but in almost all of the rest of his fights he is strong he's very physically strong what he lacks in technique he overcomes in pure sheer strength and he's got 15 minute cardio for days so generally he just breaks these guys down stops their takedowns pins them up against the cage breaks them down and cements them cody norby was a collegiate wrestler he broke him down took him down choked him out in the second mike kimball bellator prospect once upon time Choked him out in the second. Joe the Party Penefiel, very solid grappler. Choked him out in the third. Matteo Vogel was uh, is a Canadian prospect out of Ottawa. Very very solid grappler in his own right. You know he dismantled him, and then he won the CFFC title and defended it against Josh Smith as well. So like won the title against DeAndre Anderson, defended against Josh Smith, submitted both of them. He just doesn't stop. He's only 27 years old. He's in excellent shape, and this is a guy that's not sitting on the couch. Like, you know he he's won. Mm. I think he's fought. Five times in the last 12 months, or something, or the last 14 months, like he's active, he's in good shape, and I think he's live here. So law will come out and try to take him down. He'll realize Blackshear is very physically strong. Then he's gonna have to rely on his superior striking, not have enough volume.
1: So it's me a decision, I'll take the underdog. That's fair enough. I mean, Yusuf Solow is uh, is a spring chicken. Yeah, you know the saying is not a spring chicken. Like the kid's only 25 years old. He's got all of this. UFC experience I'm really interested to see how he you know how he looks at 135 pounds he had shown some grappling ability early on in his career obviously against you know Austin Lingo six takedowns there and then he took down slippery Pete Barrett three times you know not exactly grappling wizards in their own right but down you know he was doing that at 145 pounds against you know bigger opponents if he can Get down to one thirty-five comfortably. Maybe he's maybe he's an absolute monster. Um, my initial thought, like on Prize Picks, was like, "Ooh, I really want to you know slam this under on on that." But it's like, I'm I'm a little bit uh, hesitant because I think that you know the game plan for Zalow can be to take you know take this newcomer, use his experience, just win rounds, win minutes, and uh, make this kind of an ugly fight. I'm going to lean towards Zalal uh, to your black shear in this spot. So Yusuf Zalal for me. Um, but yeah, more of a fight that I'm probably going to focus on from a live betting perspective. See if Zalal can get those takedowns early. If not, um, you know, take it from there. Ariana Lipsky takes on Priscilla Kachawara. This was supposed to take place last week, Cody. But your girl went running. Obviously, missed weight. They didn't really fill in the details on what happened with her. Could have been, you know, a a personal time of the month type of situation. I don't know. She missed weight by like three and a half pounds, and there wasn't really a reason given. There's like, but she'll be good to go at bantamweight next week. Cab obviously is like, I didn't hear no bell. I am ready to roll. At all times, um, I are, I'm already on Catchawara plus 150. The market is moving against me. I'm already on Aware, uh 20 to 1 in round three. Um, I see a 22 to 1 out on the market right now. Obviously, it's pretty early for props. Um, our shoey bet, I'm assuming, is still on unless you're too chicken. And um, yeah, catch a beating late. You know, she may have to catch a beating to catch a dub But I feel like I don't care, whatever weight Bar weight You know, if, you, if these two are in a bar fight I know who I'm picking So, let's go catch a beating Do it for me Do it for do it for your fans And do it for, you know Ariane Lipsky Getting the preferential treatment here Getting handed, you know Okay, can you make weight on this date? Like, my girl was able to show up I mean, I feel like you almost owe me like half a shoey at this point because Lipsky couldn't even turn up on fight day. But, yeah, Kachewera, I'm not backing down. I've got negative CLV. It is what it is. I had an opportunity to cash it out. I didn't really suspect it to go up. I could have got a better price on what I had on my money line, but I got plus 150, and I got 20 to 1 on uh, Kachewera round three. Um, Floor is yours, Cody. Defend your girl.
2: Yeah, well, I don't know. There's nothing to defend. Like, I'm not necessarily switching the pick, but I just don't understand why the price moved towards her considering she it ter- it comes out on fight week. The, a- after we recorded the last time, it comes out that's like, yeah, she got COVID like a little while ago, and like she's still dealing with the effects from it. It's like, damn, she's still dealing with the effects of COVID? Like, oh, okay, and that doesn't sound good. It's like, yeah. Then she gets up on the scales on Friday and misses weight coming in at 128 so you know also very bad sign very bad sign and then I, then it comes out that she's not medically cleared the very next day on fight day why would that cause you to be like I need to put some money on this girl like I don't know why it moved from 165 to minus 195 for Lipsky it definitely seems a little bit strange to me but yeah I gotta stick by my guns man there's just no world that exists that I want to bet Priscilla Cachoeira, it just does. It's not happening. I understand she's catching the underdog,
1: and, and probably should have when uh, when it was Gina Mazzani, and I told you the same damn things.
2: Yeah, you're right. And listen, she cast against Gina Mazzani for the simple fact that Gina Mazzani's terrible and gassed out, despite the fact that she was absolutely dominating Priscilla Cachoeira. You know, it's Gina Mazzani. She gassed out. That's fair. Our uh, last time out against Kim, I thought she lost. You know, she had some spurt of the moment elbows in the third round. That still, shouldn't have been enough, but. She's, she should have lost. The other one's Shana Dobson. You know, again, she's, she's scratching the bottom of the barrel, Paul. So there's not a whole lot that I can get excited behind there. And, you know, when you look at the Alan Bodo's of the world and the Jared Vandros of the world and they're, they're the Blood Diamonds of the world, and there's just certain people that it's like, yeah, I'm sure they have a chance, but I just cannot in good conscience bet them. And we've been good doing pretty decent. I just, we're not betting. If we have to bet Dustin Stolfus, we will. Because we're not betting Dwight Grant. They're making this list of people that I cannot get behind. Cachuera, she's on the list, man. Technique's not there. Uh, she's very ploddy. She's very flat-footed. She's coming forward. I think Lipski's just better standing. As far as the clinch goes, Lipski should be a little bit better in the clinch. As far as the ground game goes, neither of them has much of a ground game. So I'm not, like, particularly concerned about it. But, yeah, listen, this is the PRP pick. This is at the bottom of the barrel. Like, I, I don't know why I took a shoey bet on it on the first place because... It's not like I'm particularly confident, but pretty normally sure. we agree pretty on sure, a lot Pat. of spots. And we obviously disagree on this spot. So, yeah, I'm not I'm not going to back down from it. I'll, I'll still honor the agreement as it was last week. And hopefully now that it's at 135, she feels better about herself. And she goes out there and performs. Like, I can't really say much other than that. But it's a 13 fight card. Expect it to be very low. The PRP pick, in fact, is probably Yasmin Yorugui just because, like, <laughs> it's a pretty greasy matchup when you really break it down, get to the nitty gritty. Uh, other fights that are going to be featured at the bottom could be. Listen, we got four women's MMA matches on this card. That's where the majority of my underdogs are coming from, and that's where a majority of my bottom, bottom picks on the on the ticket this week are.
1: That's that seems fair enough. I'm pretty sure uh, Quad P cyberbullied us. Is it cyberbully when I'm here in person, but you're over the internet? I don't know. It's a bit of a clouded situation, but pretty sure uh, Pat uh, like cyberbullied like me. Into taking it because you were a little bit more, a little bit more, you know, forceful with it last week. I like that you're trembling a little bit because you can hear the footsteps. Well, got, you can hear the footsteps from catch a, beer, unfit, catch a beating coming.
2: Missed, missed weight, medically unfit. Yeah, who's betting there? Lingering symptoms. Like, yeah, I don't know. Why, why is this 30 points, 30 point shift? Yeah, like,
1: that seems very strange. Yep. All right, and finally, another retread from last week. Josh Quinlan takes on Jason Witt. Uh, Quinlan, a minus 250. Favorite wick can be had for plus 210. uh, Josh Quinlan, I mean, well, he had his contender series fight, tested positive for steroids. And then last week in Nevada, he had some residue or some little bit of something that was banned in Nevada but isn't banned in California. So they're like, let's just move you to next week because whatever's in your system. It's a okay in California. I mean, my opinion doesn't really change here. Quinlan, Quinlan knocks him out round one. I don't really trust Witt's uh, chin whatsoever. It may change a little; like it could help, could help him that this fight is a catchweight of 180 pounds. Potentially, that softens the blow for Jason Witt. Uh, prize Picks had last week; they had like two and a half takedowns on Jason Witt available. That is not available this week. So, uh, makes it a little bit trickier. Um, I like Quinlan over 95.5 fantasy score. I think he probably scores a first round knockout. I just don't trust w- Witt's chin, particularly against a guy who has some sort of banned substance still in his system. Seems like a bad situation for Witt all the way around. So, my pick's not changing there. Quinlan, Quinlan wins early. Um, yeah, that's it.
2: Yeah, well, so basically, Quinlan, the stuff that he was on the last time, it's not the kind of thing that just and en- exits your system very quickly. It's like a kind of substance that well, there'll be traces amount lingering in your system for quite some time. So what happened to him is basically the same thing that happened to John Jones. Like John Jones had taken something, and then why they had that whole like, well, it's picograms. It's like yeah, it's in his system, a traceable amount, but not enough for it to be performance enhancing. And so, essentially, Nevada won't allow you to fight, but all their commissions will. So that's why they were just like, oh, okay, well, let's just move it. <clears> that They move the entire event for John Jones. In Quinlan's case, it's like, yeah, we'll just throw you on the San Diego card. California doesn't care. So, yeah, I don't think it's like – I don't think this guy knowingly was like, oh, damn, I'm coming off a of suspension because of a failed drug test. I should get back on steroids. It's like, nah, it wasn't anything like that. It's just still in system from the last time around. Um, the last time we, we broke down this fight last week, right? Quinlan Mm -hmm. power in both hands, uh, doesn't fight particularly well off his back foot, but decent takedown defense, good ability to get back up to his feet. At some point he's going to have, he's going to, you know, have opportunity to land. And when he lands on wit, he probably puts him over, but dude, you nailed it a hundred percent when you said 180 pounds potentially does change things. And I think it does too, because wit's thick, man. The guy is a big, thick guy and no doubt about it. Coming down to 170 pounds would be difficult on him. You're sweating out all that extra hydration. You know, all of a sudden your brain's not as lubricated. You're a lot more tired. You're a lot more susceptible to getting knocked out. And according to his record, the guy gets knocked out very often. You know, soft shots tend to put him away. He's been knocked out in 16 seconds, knocked out in 40 seconds. Hasn't exactly been the best look for him. But I think a lot of that could probably be correlated to a bad weight cut. So him being at 180 pounds, yeah, I mean, maybe he can take a few more extra shots. Maybe he can push forward, take a shot from Quinlan, get that clinch and get that takedown Mm -hmm. and get his grind going. Dude's a fantastic wrestler. He takes down, uh, gets a lot of takedowns in his fights, and he's got some decent top game. If he can take a shot better than he normally can, he's going to have opportunity to grapple. That makes him a little more dangerous. But again, just not enough for me to change the pick, you know. I more or less shit on him last week, so I can't all of a sudden be like, Oh, it's at 180. Oh no, he's gonna win. Like I, I'm not switching the pick. I've Got to stick with my boy Josh Quinlan to get the job done. I don't think it's an advantage that Quinlan, you know, got moved a week over because of a failed drug test. Like he's not, he's not on anything new. I would say. Um, but I, th- I do think he does get the knock, the knockout. When you look at this card again, big favorites top to bottom. So it's like, which favorites are you gonna go out there and trust? Quinlan coming in at minus 250. I think he's someone you try to get maybe third ticket, third ticket or lower simply because he's making his UFC debut. Witt does have that grappling advantage. The fight got shifted a week. It's 10 pounds heavier. There's enough worries that it's like you can't be confident in him, but this is a 15-minute fist fight. Something's going to land at some point. I think Quinlan's got enough power to put him away, so uh, not switching the pick, but I am a little more nervous about it.
1: Fair. All right, so on my card this week, I only have the the catcher plus 150 and the round three plus 2,000 sprinkle. From last week the other bets that I'm considering haven't got there yet I mean we're doing the show and this is part of my process Osborne by decision I see a plus 240 out there Tyson Nam is going to try to fight at range and fight a slower paced fight I think he's been very very durable for most of his career seems like uh maybe Osborne you know a lot of, like, first-round finishes and stuff could be a little bit inflated there. I could definitely see Osborne having to use the entire 15 minutes to get the job done, but use that reach and win the fight. Um, Mirzakhanov, minus 145. That number keeps, cr- like, keeps crashing. So, probably wait a little bit later in the week and uh, and scoop up his money line. Nina Nunez, money line. I see plus 150 out there right now. Um, probably another spot I'll get on. And Godnez, decision, minus 150. Those are, I'm considering, those are on like the, you know, the shortlist right now for me. On prize picks, I got Benitez over 104.5 fantasy points. Godnez over three takedowns. Cynthia Calvillo under two takedowns. Quinlan over 95.5 fantasy points. And Osborne over 55.5 significant strikes. Hit him with the PRP code.
2: We are going to go with Marlon Vera, David Onama,
1: Yasmin
2: Yorgui, Azmat Merzikanov, Nina Nunez, dog number one, Bruno Silva, Lupita Godinez, Martin Budai, Gabriel Benitez, Ode Osborne, Damon Blackshear, dog number two, Arion Lipsky, Josh Quinlan. So we're a little light in the dog department, 13 fights, 200 dogs. You know, Paul, the other underdogs. I would say, you know, Paul's probably leaning towards them. I think he's not terribly wrong with Cachoeira. He's not terribly wrong with Gerald Meerschardt. You know, he suggested that fight hit the ground. He's not wrong there. I didn't. See um, that. but yeah, I mean, last week it was it was <laughs> I said, last week. I said Meerschardt's
1: getting knocked out there. But like, I, know, I, I, I know, could see you... it. I mean, I'm not I'm not backing the, I'm not betting Bruno Silva. I'm scared enough of Gerald Meershard that if he does get it to the ground. Yeah, it gets dicey for sure.
2: Yeah, I'm not saying you're picking to I'm just saying you outline the fact that Silva's been submitted five times. Mirshards you know, a guy that hits at plus money. He's an underdog. Yeah, he's got a good grappling game. So, like, yeah, I think he's all the reasons for why he is a live underdog. But, again, Charlie Ontiveros is a live underdog. He could land something. Of course, anybody could do something. It's just a matter of if they're actually going to do it. So, yeah, that that that's the big question. And, again, I know people are kind of shitting on, like, oh, man, to be dogger pass it's chalker pass and you need more underdogs it's like listen the lines makers pretty spot on these lines have been out for a while that's why they're all steamed last night in the contender series i tried to force one dog that's the only one that lost thank god it was the bottom end pick so it didn't really matter but all five favorites hit last week's card it's like yeah i did get burned on muhammad uzman you know oh geez jeff neal did come through but for the most part it was fucking eight favorites right so like eh, the bookmaker is not terribly wrong when you look at this card it's much of the same if you want to talk about the bellator card this weekend it's much of the same i like one underdog on the card plus 165 i think he's got a good shot but uh all the same it's like eh, they know they know what they're doing on a matchmaking standpoint money's coming in for a reason and uh, that's why it's a little bit harder to find an edge unless you're jumping on soft openers and people will tell you like well, I got bow nickel for minus 300. Yeah. You got $112 and 50 cents on bow nickel at minus 300. Cause that's what the soft opener was limited as. So like no one's making a fortune beating the line, right? It's mm-hmm. yeah. You could, you could beat, a, you get a little extra value, but that's not how you get rich. You just, you got to get the winner come fight night. That's how you do it. That's the only method that works.
1: Yep. hundred percent. Yeah. Catching those openers is great. And if you're, if you're on, on top of it, but it's like, yeah, they're, they, I mean if you look at like the book that releases all of them It's like immediately the line gets dropped And then you see immediate like spike Those are the guys who are picking them off and good on them But it's like it's pretty They're not, they're not very very big limits whatsoever You're not making big bucks You're not yeah as you said getting rich um, I mean if you do it enough you're doing quite well for yourself But you know Quad P What do you got for us?
0: I wanted to, Cody. I sent you a DM. And, but, oh, wait, one second. Okay. Cody, who
1: is the underdog at plus 165 on the uh, Bellator card that we should be paying attention to, just for
2: inquiring minds? Can the Canadian ravishing Rick Rude, Aaron Jeffrey. I think he gets the job done against Austin Vander. He I mean, followed me on Vanderford Twitter the, the other wrestling, day. But get bo- Jeffrey in the clinch is a problem. I think he's going to give him
1: problems. Let's go. Oh, Canada. All right, I'll add him. I'll add him to. Uh,
2: yeah. Yeah. I'll, I'll also don't... let you know from personal experience uh, Aaron Jeffries' camp is like very selective on who he fights. Like they don't take shit. They, t- they had to take whoever Dana White offered them on the contender series, and he lost both of those fights. Every other fight he's had outside of those ones, he wins, right? When Bellator signed him, he turned down three guys before accepting Fabio Aguiar. Now Fabio Aguiar is actually pretty good. He's not bad at all, right? So why turn down three other guys and accept him because they're very specific on this is these are the guys we want. These are the guys we know we can beat. They accepted the Austin Vanderfort fight on two weeks notice. They see something in Vanderfort. When you look at Jeffrey and how he matches up with Vanderfort, you can see it too. So the kid's got to go out there and perform, but that hair and that mustache, I'll be cheering him on to victory.
0: All right, so we got the Bellator Canadian underdog. That'll probably just be a straight bet for me, but here we go. We cashed everything last week, so probably good that Witt actually got canceled because he just turned with no win, no loss. He turned everything into a winner for us on prize Picks. We won eight times our money. Let's try to do that again this week. Uh, Paul, the one thing I wanted to ask you was this Azmat guy. Mm-hmm. You guys like him, right? He seems good. It, from what you guys said, it sounded like you really liked him.
1: I thought he was a lot... Like, he had a tough UFC debut. He looked good on Contender Series. He looked good on the Russian regional scene. Like, I think he got a little bit exposed, but then won by third round flying knee. Um, I think he's still pretty good. People are a little bit down on him. Why?
0: Okay, because I just... From the way that you guys talked, his fantasy score was only 88.5. Cody's calling for a second round win. I like the over on him. So I the foreplay yeah. is... Azmat, the, the hazmat suit here. We got 88.5 fantasy score over. Benitez 104.5 fantasy score over. Cynthia Calvillo, 78.5 fantasy score under. Like and that. Ode Osborne, 55 and a half.
1: Over significant strikes.
0: Over significant strikes. And the two big ones, so I'm going to play it as a four-play. Power play. Pays ten times your money if you win. You can do the five times for the three of four if you really want to on that. But I'm going to get greedy. We're doing well here. Running hot. And for the two-play, I'm going Benitez over 104.5. Ode Osborne, 55.5. half significant strikes over as well. Code DOP on prizepicks.com. To get a match deposit of up to $100. And you can just hit the link down in the description. That'll take you right to it. We've been rolling with these. We went back. This has been, I think, week five or week six. And we're up 17 times our money since we started. That's pretty good.
1: I mean, Quad P has been doing even better than me. He listens to our information and processes it. You're going to have to give me some... You said a lot of things there. I was trying... Yeah. You said a lot of things there. And I may have, you know... I can't... I don't have the... Ability to go back and rewind. So I'm going to have to look at what you just said and uh, add them to uh, to my card here, too, because Quad P just, just throw in heaters on a weekly basis. One,
0: I'll, I'll give uh, John Kelly a good shout out, too. He's given out some good prizes. John picks Kelly, on, great guy. On Twitter. And, you know, I don't want to spoil anything because it's not confirmed yet, but UFC pay per view next week or two weeks?
1: I think there's uh no i don't think it's a pay-per-view next week
0: all right well their ufc something 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 is coming up it might be two weeks from yeah now.
1: ufc 278 ah it is next week yeah
0: i think john on mayo media network is going to go live potentially friday night after the weigh-ins if you guys want to ask questions to john john's awesome we really like john he's been on my show uh, doing like DraftKings breakdowns and things like that, so just more MMA content because people are supporting. Like the more you can deposit at Prize Picks, the more stuff like this we can do. We also lost Cody like five minutes ago, so I have no idea where he went. Yeah, no,
1: <laughs> the phoner board is up there, but he is gone. I mean, if you if you noticed, I was texting when Pat was uh, starting his, you know, his his Prize Picks, and it was basically me. Being like we got this We'll we'll cover your tracks Hopefully next week Cody's got like a, You know A land connection You know Maybe maybe just hardwire That internet in um, That would definitely be helpful Because uh, Otherwise you're going to be seeing A whole lot of that board But uh, that is it for us this week Hope you enjoyed the show For Pat and Cody I'm Paul Saying goodbye And good luck